Reach Young Adult Ministry Sermons Online from Tuesday, March 9th, 2021 by Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Church from the series Young Guns, entitled Exhortation from Numbers 13, 17 through 14, 10. We are in a series of lessons uh, where we are looking at how God has equipped young adults for, uh, for ministry. Um, I am so excited to see you guys tonight. We're, we are, this is our fourth lesson in this series. We're going to be taking a little break next week, uh, as many of us are going to be gone to Utah, but we're going to pick back up again when we get back. Um, so far, we've looked at teaching, we've looked at mercy, and tonight we're going to look at the gift of exhortation, or the, uh, in other words, encouragement, right? Um, what's amazing to me is to see how, uh, I was talking to one of our pastors today, um, that you know, we know a lot of Bible stories. We know a lot of things that have happened to, to the heroes of the faith in the Bible. Um, but, you know, when you're a young adult, or actually when you're in any season of life, it can be difficult to see yourself in the pages of the Bible and what God has done with our ancestors in the faith. Um, and it's important for us to stop and, and look at how God has interacted with people um, there's a couple of rules that we always follow when we're reading God's word because the Bible doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means, right? And so we've got to be very careful that we don't read ourselves into the text. I am not David. My problems are not Goliath and I'm not going to go slay them with promises. That's not a biblical principle. Um, what is a biblical principle is that we can see characteristics about who God is based on how he's interacted with people throughout history, because God is consistent, right? As he reveals himself to us, he is consistent in his word. And he's consistent in how he interacts with human beings because God doesn't change. And so as we look at these stories, as we look at what God has done in young adults in the Bible, it's important for us to remember that, yes, these are, uh, these are examples of what God has done. These are uh, illustrations about how God has moved in the lives of people. But we always have to remember that we see God first, when we read the Bible, not see ourselves first. Because it's very tempting to read principles of Scripture and be like, oh my goodness, I see myself in this, 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 and this. But the truth is that how we feel about things really doesn't matter. The truth doesn't change. There's a commentator that I listen to periodically that has a phrase that I love. He says, the facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> I love that because truth is, is objective. It's not subjective. So... Um, it's, it's pretty incredible to see how God has moved in the lives of people. Uh, so let's talk about the gift of encouragement. Okay, so here's, here's a little bit of info for you guys. Uh, the gift of encouragement is the gift, uh, is the divine enablement to present truth uh, so, that, uh, so as to strengthen, comfort, or urge to action those who are discouraged or wavering in their faith. Key references to the gift of encouragement are Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, and Acts chapter 15, verses 30 through 32. Uh, some distinctives about the people that have the gift of encouragement. Encouragement, people with this gift, uh, uh, sorry, they, uh, they come to the side of those who are discouraged to strengthen and reassure them. They challenge, comfort, and confront others to trust and hope in the promises of God. They urge others to action by applying biblical truth. They motivate others to grow. And they emphasize God's promises 
uh, and to have confidence in his will. Some core traits about people with the gift of uh, encouragement, that they're positive, they're motivating, they're challenging, affirming, reassuring, supportive, and trustworthy. Cautions for the people with the gift of encouragement, um, that they can sometimes be overly optimistic or too simplistic or flattering in their words. Uh, They should first take time to understand others and what they really need and not just jump into positive words. And they may want to just say positive things to others to avoid being confrontational when it's needed. Um, just to, just to remind you guys. So the way that spiritual gifts work, right? When we trust in the saving power of Jesus Christ, uh, scripture tells us that when we do that, when we turn over control of our lives to God through the promise of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit comes on us. And what that looks like is that God has a couple of priorities for, for his creation, Number one, he wants to reveal himself to us, and he wants us to know him. And in the process of doing that, we begin to discover something. We begin to discover that we have been made for this exact purpose, to know God. And as he has invited us to work alongside him as he reveals himself to the rest of humanity, we get to take part in people, people having the light come on in their life. Right? We get to start seeing people in their lives be changed as they surrender themselves to God's word and to, and to who God is. And so part of that participation with him in ministry is that he gives each of us a set of gifts, specific gifts. These aren't gifts for you or gifts for me. These are gifts that God uses through us and he gives us to his church, to his, to his community, to reflect his nature to each other, to encourage each other, but also to show the world parts of who he is. And so uh, he's invited us to take part in that with him. So as you think about these gifts, don't think that this is something that's yours. This is kind of your toolkit that you can use to, you know, uh, take advantage of people. This is something that God has given to you with a responsibility. Okay. So turn, turn with me over to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at a couple of young adults, two guys, Joshua and Caleb. Some of you are familiar with the story of uh, the people of Israel and their captivity in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And as God uh, provided for them, he sent a man named Moses uh, who had an older brother named Aaron. And God told Moses, I want you to walk into the throne room of Egypt, into Pharaoh's throne room, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. So God begins to express himself uh, and show that he is the almighty powerful being in the universe through a series of plagues. These are, there are 10 major plagues, and each one is targeted uh, specifically towards an Egyptian god. You have the god Ra, who's the god of the sun, right? And so it's targeted towards several different kinds of gods. And so God displays his, his magnificence and his power to all the nation of, Israel, of Egypt and to Israel. Uh, Egypt at that time was the, was the dominant empire in the world. And so what happens is that God expresses himself and Pharaoh lets the people go. And then they, they take their leader, Moses, and they begin to walk. God does a series of miracles. He is leading them by day with a cloud, with a, with a pillar of, of smoke. And then by night, he's leading them by a column of fire. How many of you have ever prayed, God, would you just show yourself to me? If I could just see you, I would follow and I would obey. If you could just make yourself more real to me, they saw it. 
day and night, every like the kids are going to bed with a nightlight of a giant column of fire outside the camp. And God gives instructions to the people of Israel. They, they construct a tabernacle, a place of worship. This is something I've been reading about in, in my personal devotion time in the book of Exodus, where he says, you're going to build it a certain way. And inside the tabernacle, there's going to be a special tent, a tent of meeting. This is where I'm going to come and I'm going to visit and I'm going to talk to you. And so this is a place that is sacred. This is where the Ark of the Covenant, symbols of what God has done, are put placed inside of this a sacred container and it's put inside this, this uh, tent of meeting. And God shows up and he speaks to the people in this place. So this is the setting. So God has promised the people of Israel, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you property, a place where you can belong. Remember, this is a, this is a nation without any identity. They don't know who they are. And so as they're, as they're wa- working their way towards this promised land, God is revealing to him and he's placing boundaries around this tribe of slaves. And he's saying, here's how you be a decent human being. You are going to have these basic hygiene rules. You're going to eat these basic things. You're going to have this basic government structure. And he goes through and he's teaching this group of slaves how to be civilized people. So what happens is they get up to the brink of the promised land and Moses, the leader, after everything everything they've gone through, he sends a bunch of guys, a bunch of young adults into the promised land to scout it out to see what's ahead. So when they come back, they bring a report. And we're going to read that event and what happens. And we're going to see how Joshua and Caleb respond to what, uh, what God has done and what God's shown them. So we're, we're in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 17. So we're going to read through, chapter, through, uh, through verse 30. Beginning in verse 17, when Moses sent them to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, go up this way to the Negev and go up into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities that they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. It was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and scouted out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were living. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs, That place is called the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. The men went back to Moses and Aaron and and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report uh, for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here are some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev and the Hethites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Let's stop right there. The first thing I want you to see here is that an encourager sees the blessings of God. Okay, so these, this first section of scripture here, we're going to see that, that 
An encourager is someone who gathers information. An encourager is someone who is, doesn't want to be ignorant with what's going on because we're going to talk about this in a second, what that means for what they have to contribute to God's kingdom. See, they see that blessings start with exploring challenges. So Moses needed a comprehensive report. He said, I want you to, te- I want you to see what the land's like. What's the, what's, what's the topography? What are the strength of the people who live there? Their physical, are they, how strong are they physically and what's their population? Is the land viable? Can it support all of us? Are there, is there military status there? Are there armies? Are there fortifications? Are there capabilities? How, how hard is this going to be for us? They're gathering information. Because if we're going to bring 2 million people into, into an unknown land, what does that mean for us? What are we going to have to bring with us? What's waiting for us there? You see, when we look at our circumstances, it's always good to investigate. Because we want to get information. We want to understand. An encourager is someone who is always curious to ask questions. And the reason why is because to be an encourager means that you can see things that other people don't see. And so Moses sends these these, uh, spies in to see what exactly is happening in the promised land. An encourager, he's as an encourager, these guys are, are, we're going to start to see that they're interested in understanding how God has laid the groundwork for the future. Okay, but here's the thing. I don't know if you guys have realized this, but the world can be a scary place. The world can be a very fearful place. When you begin to explore, like, so you're growing up, right? And you're like, oh, everything's good. I used to think that everybody's family was messed up but mine until I became an adult. (laughs) And I realized that my family's got lots of problems. You see, when you're young and you're growing up, your parents shield you from things, right? But as you experience life, you begin to realize that the more you learn about the world, the more unpleasant it is. There's a lot of unpleasant things that we have to interact with. And so that's what these spies are going through. Caleb and Joshua and the rest of these guys as they're walking through this promised land and they're seeing all this stuff. They're seeing all this, this incredible bounty. Think about it. This cluster of grapes is so large it takes two guys to carry it. That's a, that's a big cluster of grapes. It is so, the, the land is so rich that it's just, it's like walking through Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, right? This is just incredible. But what that means though, is that comes, that kind of a bounty also is going to strengthen the people that live there. So when we look at what's ahead, the promises that are ahead and the fruit that's there, oh wait, hold on a second. That's actually kind of scary because there are challenges that are equal to what's being promised. And so an encourager is someone who looks at this and by exploring challenges, they realize that it comes with a realistic fear. And so what happens is these guys, they bring this report back. And one of the things that they talk about are these sons of Anak. So it says here um, in verse 22, it says, they went up to the Negev and came out to Hebron and Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were living there. So these are... uh, this is not necessarily, well, I guess it's a race of people. Um, these, are big, these are big people, right? So there's, um, there's historical accounts of one of the kings of the, of the Anakim who had a bed that was 13 feet long. These are big, big dudes, right? And 
Uh, so they're seeing all these giants essentially walking around and they're like, um, that's a little intimidating. I don't like that. But it strikes them with fear. Later on, when, when Joshua takes over and they drive out the people from Canaan, this subset, the Anakim, these people, they go live with the Philistines next door. And many, many years later, there's a story of a man named Goliath, who is a descendant of the Anakim, a large man who faces off with another young adult from Israel named David. So this story carries on, right? These aren't crazy, mystical, magical creatures. These are just big people. That's all they are, okay? We got Shaq hanging out in Canaan. Basically, it's what's happening, (laughs) right? But this abundance shows us what's at stake for the people of Israel, right? There's this this amazing promise of, of a fruitful land, the phrase that they use in, in biblical text is flowing with milk and honey. This is a metaphor. This, uh, this, is a, this is a land that is full of good things, things that we could thrive in. Remember, these people have been eating onions next to the Nile River for 400 years. That's their steady diet. Onions and potatoes. Uh, exactly. Aww. We're like, but that cluster of grapes that they just brought, that's ridiculous. I want to go over there. See, but fruit always comes with fear, right? The report about the abundance was incredible, but it was full of the unknown and just how they weren't sure about what was ahead of them. And so the spies reported the land was full of people that were too strong for Israel to defeat. But the surprising thing here is that they immediately forget what they've experienced in the last several weeks. That God Almighty has brought the most incredible empire in the history of the world at that point he has brought it to its knees. He has walked before them in a, call of fu- call, a column of fire by night and a column of smoke by day. And yet, when they come back with this report, they say, oh no, this is just too big. That's their knee-jerk response. Caleb, though, he saw the truth about what was in front of them and he tried to point the people to what that was. Look at verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. See, Caleb is not deterred by what's ahead of him. He is not intimidated by the, by the things that come with the promise that God's given. He remembers. Have you ever noticed that the first thing that Satan tries to take from you whenever you come into a difficult situation is he tries to take from you the security from the memories of what God showed you before? That you, you start to question, well, no, maybe, maybe that thing didn't happen. Maybe God didn't show up. Maybe, maybe I really am in over my head. But Caleb doesn't see that. Caleb, one of the things I love about Caleb is that an encourager is not someone who acts in ignorance of the truth. He was there. He saw it all. He saw everything. But instead... The encourager is someone who pushes people to obedience in spite of their fear. You see, the gift of encouragement is more than just being a person with a positive attitude. It is the divine empowerment to direct people back to the truth of who God is. Those with the gift of encouragement are used by God to bring the realities of our lives into focus so that we can see God move. 
So we have this situation where these spies have come up and they've said all this great stuff about the promised land and then they're cowering in fear. But Caleb, in front of everyone, notice he doesn't just try to pull Moses aside and say, hey, no, what they really mean to say is this, this, and this. In front of everyone, he's bold and he steps out and he offers his encouragement. He says, no, we can do this. We can totally do this. Why? Not because we're so special, but because look at what God has done back behind us. And so we have a situation here. We've got a disagreement between the two. Well, here's the problem. Is that truth is provocative. I don't know if you've noticed that in our culture or what we've seen in the world. That to stand up for the truth is provocative. You can't stand up and say that God intended for a man to be married with a woman without being told that you're a bigot. You can't say that someone who is gender confused is in a very dangerous place because the science says that there's a 40% chance they're going to try to take their life. That there is a real danger here. You say things like that, you're going to get excoriated by our culture. You can't say that a man is supposed to lead his family in humility and sacrifice himself. You can't say that a woman is supposed to be an easer to her man a divinely sent military help in time of national distress. You cannot say that a woman submits to a man in an example of God's relationship with his church. You cannot say things that are true because the truth is provocative. Why is that? Because when we talk about the truth, whenever we expand on the truth, the first response is I begin to realize that I actually may be wrong about something. The truth always brings insecurity because deep down inside, we recognize the truth of what Jeremiah said, that the heart of man is desperately wicked and no one can know it. But the Lord, he tries the hearts and the minds of men. So the presence of truth brings conviction. So what happens is when you stand up for the truth, you're going to have enemies. So an encourager is someone who was going to have enemies. Look at how the people respond. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack these people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites without, about the land and they, that they scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers. We must have seemed the same to them. Let me stop for a second and explain this. So there's a progression of thought for those who are the enemies of the truth. It's a progression of thought. So the first thing is a dismissal of God's power. Look at verses 31 and 32. The guys get up and they say, we can't attack those people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. See, the enemies of the truth are always going to try to minimize God's power in our lives. Oh, you can't do that thing because it's too big. You can't, like, I, I can't tell you how many people asked me when we first, when I first came on staff here at Evergreen, they, they heard that I was the young adults pastor. And they said, well, what are you going to do? There's no colleges in South Tulsa. There's no TU. Is, might as well be a million miles away. 
You know, Rama is, is far away. ORU is far away. NSUBA is far away. Who are you going to, who, like, what are you actually going to be doing? Or I hear other people that say, oh, well, young adult ministry, that's too hard. These young adult, you know, you might as well. We have this cult, we have this unsaid culture in church. You guys have probably picked up on this, right? We learn, we, we invest in you, invest in you, invest in you, invest in you, get through junior high, high school. That's awesome. You're going to be a great kingdom leader. Okay, go to college. Great. Come back and see us when you've got kids and a family. Because the truth is, if it really mattered to us, we would make an effort. The truth is that you matter. What God's doing in you matters. I refuse to accept the truth or this, this claim that God does not care or is not able to deal with hard things and big things. It's just patently not true. And so you're going to see people who are enemies of the truth say, oh, well, no, this is too hard. The job is too hard. These giants are too big. You can't possibly do that. So they dismiss God's power. But then they begin, they know that that argument's not going, to, not going to hold up. And so they begin to magnify the opposition. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 says, uh, they continue their statement. It says, even we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers and we must have seemed the same to them. Let me talk about this for a second. The Nephilim. Okay. So back in the book of Genesis, before God sent the flood, there is this account where it says that great men, or some people translate this inaccurately as saying angels, laid with women. And they produce this like weird angel slash human race of people. Angels are non-gender specific creatures. They don't have sexual desire. That's not a thing. It's not possible. Right? So here's what's happening here. Is that they're saying, well, first off, the Nephilim were all killed in the flood. Okay, so that argument's off the table. These, these people don't exist anymore. But in their fear, what they're doing is they're saying, look, here's the deal. We saw the sons of Anak there, and we know that these are weird angel people. That's essentially what they're saying. These are these mystic, supernatural, demon people. We can't possibly go up against them. Not only are they big, but they're like witches and stuff. They're not living by what's true. And so what happens is they magnify the opposition. Oh, God can't handle that because that's too big. Are you sure? Well, I mean, let me tell you how it really is. And they begin to embellish the opposition. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. Then they move in. If they can't magnify the opposition, then they're going to try to incite complaints. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that, uh, wept that night. All, all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. You see, the enemies of truth are going to try to use uncertainty of a situation and the significance of obstacles to stoke fear in other people. These people are not living by what's true. Caleb, the, the, the spies get up and they say, yeah, there's, there's bountiful harvest there. There's, there's a, it's a healthy land. The people are healthy. They're strong. They're big. They're well-nourished. Oh, we can't do that. It's too big. 
Oh, well, you don't understand. This is way bigger than God. Oh, wait, no. Things would be just, just be so much better if we were just, you know, in chains, building pyramids, eating onions and potatoes. Hopefully, we'd, I mean, we should have just died in the wilderness. So they try to incite complaints and stir up other people. So, but it gets worse. Then they begin to twist God's nature. Look at verse three. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for, uh, for, better for us to go back to Egypt? See, the enemies of truth try to manipulate the ignorance of the inexperienced to get what they want. Not only is God not powerful enough, but can we trust him? Think about the first temptation. What did, what did the devil tell Eve? Did, did God really say that? Oh, you're in a situation that's, that's bigger than you are? You're in a situation that, that you may not be able to fully wrap your arms around? Oh, well, God's, God's probably not that powerful because this problem is too big. But did he really say that? They begin to manipulate God's intentions and his nature. But then look at verse 4. Now they move into full-fledged rebellion against God's authority. Verse 4, it says, So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. They're just going to give up. This is just a small example of what happens whenever, whenever God calls a group of people to obedience and he presents them with an opportunity. And all of a sudden, our flesh takes over. We start looking around and looking at all the other things that could possibly happen and we cripple in fear. But fortunately, we don't have to stay there because God has sent us people with the gift of encouragement. Because when things seem so bent and they seem so wrong, he sends us something else. He sends us an encourager. But here's something that I think you should remember. If you have the gift of encouragement, is that God has gifted you for this specific moment. When things are dark, when things are not going the way that you know that that God has said that they will go, he has sent you on purpose to that moment to those people. Do not be afraid. See, when those with the gift of encouragement speak up, there will always be others who want to undermine their message. Our responsibility as parts of the body of Christ is to always ask who is pointing to the truth with godly perspective. The cornerstone of encouragers is the word courage. When God has given you something to say, embrace the role that he's given you and draw the eyes of those around you to heaven. You cannot be an encourager without courage. God has put you in a position just like this. So whenever you have been presented with a situation, guess what? Your job is to step up in face of these enemies. Look at how this finishes. Notice that God is pretty silent through all of this so far. Think about it. These these slaves have walked to the brink and they have seen what God has promised. They've seen that it's actually real. And now, not only are they saying that God isn't powerful enough. They're actually questioning his motives. To a godly person who understands who God is, this is offensive. Look at verse five. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, 
who were among those who scattered out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. See, an encourager fights for God's people. An encourager is not satisfied to sit there and to bemoan the difficulties of what God's called you to do. Look at their first response. The people rebel and they say, you know what, we just need to appoint a different leader to take us back to Egypt. Things are so much better there. And Moses and Aaron, following the leadership of Caleb and Joshua, fall on their faces before God and they say, please don't do this. You have two young men who are way younger than the leaders of their nation who are the prime example that is followed when the people rebel. Encouragers, who are you when difficulty comes? How do you respond when people try to rebel against God and who he is, when they start saying false things about his nature? Do you, do you start throwing fists or do you submit to the true master of the universe and trust that he is going to make things right? They fall down. This, uh, this phrase here in verse six, where it says they tore their clothes. This is an Old Testament uh, expression of grief. Not just like, I'm kind of upset. This is like agonizing. I just lost my entire family in a car crash type. I am devastated. They ripped their tunic down like this and they got on their hands and knees before God. And they said, please do not do this. This is a catastrophic mistake. We cannot turn back from this. Don't do this. They are moved. But their first response, look at verse seven. And they said to the entire Israelite community, the land that we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. They remind the people that what God has offered them. Verse eight, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. They remind the people of Israel of who God is and what he has promised them. Look at verse nine. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They warn the people to not turn against God. They tell the people that the challenge is not too big for God. He says their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. They remind them that God has cleared the way for them and is with them. They go through and they say, no, 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 no. An encourager is someone who lives by what's true. I've got to tell you what is true. We're going to live by what is true because the world is full of liars. But don't forget that as an encourager, you have been called, you have been placed, you have been uniquely divinely equipped to be the one who gathers strength for everyone. When no one has courage, you stand. When no one has the will to fight, you stand and you say, no, this is the truth. God loves me. God is for me. God wants me to be with him. God wants to interact with the people in my life. I will not live by lies. 
If you can be anything in your generation, be someone who lives by the truth that God is good, that God is righteous, that God demands a life that is worthy, that God has something for you in your life and that there will be enemies that rise and they will tell you that you're wrong and that you're hateful and that that, that you don't understand who God is. Encouragers, you stand up and you say, no, this is what is true. And you know what happens? God responds. Look at verse 10. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites in the tent of meeting. Let me explain this. Remember that tabernacle I was telling you about? Tabernacle, tent of meeting. Ark of the Covenant's inside the tent of meeting. Up until this point, God is silent. You have the people reaching, grabbing stones. They want to kill Moses and Aaron. They want to kill Caleb and Joshua because the truth is provocative. Until God says, enough. And he drops his fist into the tent of meeting. And the Shekinah glory of the Lord, the blinding light that had been Moses' best friend on the mountaintop comes to the camp of the Israelites. And he says, no more. Encourager, understand that when you speak the truth, you speak with the words of God. You do not have to be afraid. God steps in to defend his messengers. The people, their fear, their anger is so tangible. Notice that Caleb and Joshua don't really care what Moses and Aaron think. All they care about is what God thinks. So God honors them by defending them. See, an encourager can walk in confidence knowing that their primary responsibility is to God and he has their back. See, the gift of encouragement doesn't mean that we just walk around telling people how good God is. How you doing? Oh, I'm just, you know, blessed and highly favored. God's just good. How you doing? I, I'm not doing great. Well, you should be doing great because God is good. No, that's not how this works. It means that you have been given to his people to stand in the middle of hard questions and point people to the truth. You have been placed here for a reason, and that is to bring glory to the promises and the protection of what God has called out of all of us. An encourager is someone who steps up and they say, no, this is the truth. Your friend is frustrated and they're having a hard time and they're they're going through depression. No, this is the truth. We're going to live by what's true. We're not going to live by what what, what we think, with our limited perspective. We're going we're gonna to be, we're going to govern our lives based on the emotions we feel that are developed from incomplete information about situations that we don't fully understand. Tell me why that's true. Why that, why that would be a good course of action for, our, for my life. Your job as an encourager is to draw people to the throne of grace and say, no, I love you too much to not tell you what's true. So how does this end? I'm going to read the rest of this story. Um, It's not good. It's not pleasant. 
But I want you to think about this as I read this. That every other person in the, in the, in the nation of Israel, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, they miss out on everything. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me? How long will they not trust in me despise, despite all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them with the plague and destroy them. Then I will make you into a, great, a greater and mightier nation than they are. But Moses replied to the Lord, The Egyptians will hear about it. For by your strength you brought, us, brought up this people from them. They will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They, they have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. How you, Lord, are seen face to face. How your cloud stands above them. And how you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You killed this people with a single blow. The nations that have heard of your fame will declare, since the Lord wasn't able to bring this people into the land he swore to give them, he has slaughtered them in the wilderness. So now may my Lord's power be magnified just as you have spoken. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Notice that Moses reminds everyone listening of what's true. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished and bring the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children of the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. Verse 20, the Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested. Yet surely as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, None of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. God kept his promise to Caleb. In fact, God gave Caleb a mountain. I want you to remember, encouragers, you are not just a positive voice. You are not just someone who has something lifting to say to people who are down. You are a prophet of the truth. You are someone that God has gifted to his body to remind us of what's true. And when the teachers are afraid, when the helpers are afraid, when the merciful are afraid, it's time for you to step up and use the gift that God has given you and to remind all of us of what is true. God has given you to us on purpose. And that purpose is to remind us of who he is in desperate moments. Do not be afraid. Encourage and do it well.
you enjoyed this episode of the Reach Podcast, please be sure and like and subscribe to our content. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also, you can find us on social media by searching for reach.tulsa. Find us on our website, evergreenbc.org forward slash reach. I also want to invite you to come be a part of our community. We meet every Tuesday night at 630 at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa on 111th Street, just east of Mingo. God is moving in the lives of young adults all across the world. He has something for you, so don't miss out. 